0: This is KJZZ News, your listener-supported public radio station. I'm Tiara Vianne, and here are this week's stories you don't want to miss. Thanks so much for listening. For the week of December 5th, 2022, here are some top stories. In the news, here's Mark Brody.
1: Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema says she is leaving the Democratic Party to become an independent. In a video release sent early this morning, the state senior senator says registering as an independent is a reflection of who she's always been. In an op-ed published this morning in the Arizona Republic, Cinema says she's quote, joined the growing number of Arizonans who reject party politics by declaring my independence from the broken partisan system in Washington, end quote. I spoke with Senator Cinema earlier this morning about this, and I started by asking for how long she'd been thinking about making this switch.
2: You know, Mark, this is really a natural extension of the work I've been doing in the United States Senate for the last number of years. So Uh, I'm not sure this should come as a surprise to anyone. You know, when I ran for the Senate uh, back in 2018, I promised Arizonans I'd be an independent voice for our state. That's exactly what I've done. And so I think today's decision and announcement is just a reflection of that.
1: How do you envision this working sort of mechanically in the Senate? Like, do you envision yourself sort of following the Bernie Sanders, Angus King model? Do you envision charting a different kind of course?
2: It won't surprise Arizonans, Mark, when I say that I'm not interested in following the footsteps of anyone else. You know, Arizona is a special state and we've always been a very independent people. And I expect that the way I behave in the Senate, which is to show up to work every day, uh, working hard for the people of our state, that won't change at all. So I think you'll see, for me, exactly what you've seen for me in recent years, which is a willingness to work with anyone um, of any political party, to solve problems and get things done.
1: There are certain things, though, that have to happen that really sort of only happen in terms of, like, finding out about bills and hearing what colleagues have to say, like, in sort of that party environment, aren't there? Like, are you still interested in in doing any of that?
2: Well, Mark, I demonstrated to the folks across Arizona and indeed our country that I've been incredibly effective at advancing Arizona's priorities and our nation's priorities. And I've been able to do that because of my deep relationships based on trust with my colleagues of all political persuasions. That's not going to change at all. So, um, I mean, you and I both know Arizonans don't really care at all about the inner mechanics of Washington, D.C. What they care about are the results. And I expect that not much will change at all for me or for them when it comes to delivering results for Arizona.
1: I'm curious what some of your colleagues have said, especially those with whom you've worked closely on on pretty big pieces of legislation over the last number of, of months and years.
2: Well, it'll be no surprise to you, Mark, that many of my colleagues were not surprised about today's announcement. You know, I've been an independent voice for Arizona. I'll continue to be that. And so I don't think folks were that surprised about this change in my party registration. Uh, because everyone knows it will have no change on the way that I do my work or what I hope to continue to do, which is to be very effective advancing Arizona's priorities in the United States Senate.
1: So you said that this was sort of a natural extension for you, but I'm wondering if there was like, was there something that happened that made you say, I, I just can't do this anymore? I just can't be a member of the Democratic Party anymore?
2: Well, that might be an exciting story, Mark, but it's um, not true. (laughs) The reality is, is that like many Arizonans, and and in fact, many Americans, I've never fit neatly into a partisan box. And I think that's true for many of us throughout the state and and indeed across the U.S. That we're not interested in just following one party doctrine or party dogma. And, you know, today's registration as an independent is in line not only with my values, but with the values, I believe, of most Arizonans.
1: Does this affect in any way your decision of whether or not or how to seek re-election in two years?
2: You know, I'm not at all focused on campaigns or elections right now. We've got so much work left to do in the United States Senate. Um, as you know, and Arizonas, Arizonans know, I've got a lot on my plate right now, working on immigration, working to get a budget that works for our state and for our country and ensuring that our men and women in the military are taken care of and, and paid appropriately. So I'm hundred percent focused on that work. You know, Arizonans know that I'm a workhorse and I kind of put my head down and just stay focused on the work. That's exactly what I'm doing now. And it's what they can expect from me moving forward.
1: So you mentioned one of one of those bills that I know you're working on right now dealing with immigration and the so-called dreamer population. Are you optimistic that you're going to be able to, to get something done on that?
2: You know, I, I can't predict what's going to happen on that piece of legislation, Mark. But what I can tell you is that Senator Tom Tillis and I are working with a large group of colleagues in both parties who recognize that the failure of this administration to secure our border address the asylum crisis, and settle the status of DREAMers requires our action. And so we're going to continue to work very hard over the coming weeks to try and find a compromise that can solve those challenges and help settle not just the status of DREAMers in Arizona, but also create a system that is more fair and humane for migrants and, of course, ensures a secure border. As we've seen in Arizona, it's been, gosh, about 40 years since we've how to handle on the border appropriately. And, you know, every administration of both political parties has really faced failure after failure on this issue. So it's our goal to try and bridge that partisan divide and find a solution.
1: Does the passage of Prop 308 in Arizona last month, which gives uh, some of these students the ability to go to college and pay in-state tuition, but still kind of leaves a lot of them in limbo, does that influence maybe the the speed with which you're trying to get something on this done?
2: Well, Mark, I was delighted that Prop 308 passed. And like many Arizonans, I was disappointed back in 2006 when um, Dreamers were blocked out of in-state tuition. As a professor at Arizona State University for the last 20 plus years, I know how hard um, kids from all backgrounds work to get their college education, and I don't ever want to see any of them denied that fair opportunity to get that education and be productive members of our community. So passing Prop through rate was a huge victory for the people of Arizona, not just for those dreamers and their families, but for our whole state and our economy. So I think there's renewed... Um, just really renewed interest and renewed energy and urgency to make sure that not only can these kids get a college education, but that we can be smart and make sure that we're integrating them into employment and helping them be fully productive members of the Arizona society.
1: All right. That is Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema. Senator, thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Mark. Have a great day. In Tribal Resources, which is supported in part by a grant from the Katina Foundation. The Colorado River runs more than 1,400 miles, starting as a trickle of snowmelt in northern Colorado. It becomes a roaring torrent as it cuts through canyons and five western states. Now, after more than a century of dam building and development along the river, it ends as a trickle again at the Arizona Mexico border. The river was once the lifeblood of the Cocopa or river people, and as Almacias reports, the Cocopa tribe has been trying to return a sliver of that landscape to what it once was.
3: On this day, you hear the wind blowing and the traffic from Interstate 8 as cars and trucks cross the Arizona-California border less than a mile away. The Colorado River, or what's left of it, meanders south to Mexico with hardly any sound. The small stretch of river winds through part of the Kokopah Reservation near Yuma. For hundreds of years, the river provided food and other resources to the Kokopah and other river tribes. But major change began to take shape in the early 1900s when the first dam was added, More than a century later, development and an extensive system of 15 dams has changed the river and the people who depended on it. Here on the Kokopaw Reservation, the landscape changed as well, with invasive plants choking out native mesquites, cottonwoods, and other trees.
0: The goal um, of this project was to, you know, bring back those native plants and also create a, a very special place where they can gather and, you know, reconnect with the river.
3: Jen Alspa is the director of the Kokopa Environmental Protection Office. She says back in June, heavy equipment began ripping out seven acres of those invasive plants. After the seven acres were cleared, a thousand cottonwoods, willows, and mesquites were planted. Along with the plants, 4,000 feet of irrigation and drip lines were installed. Joe Rodriguez is director of the Kokopa Museum and Cultural Programs. For the last 50 years, things have changed. You know, the the, the terrain, uh, the area around us, the flow of the river, it's all changed uh, dramatically. We don't want to see it disappear and become extinct to us. Rodriguez says tribal members used to be able to roam the river all the way to the Pacific Ocean, but that way of life has been lost forever.
4: We're not able to move around
3: freely like we used to. We'd have to have permits. The Rehabilitation on the Kokopal Reservation is part of a larger effort, including another tribe on the river and the city of Yuma. Jesus Melendez is with the Yuma Crossing National Heritage Area. It is a partnership that includes state, federal, and tribal organizations. As a result of the coordinated efforts, 400 acres of wetlands have been restored, and 200,000 trees and grasses have been planted.
5: All these places exist—the tribe, you know, the tribe, the, the Kitsan tribe, the city of Yuma—all exist because of the river. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we wanted to assist with being part of the growth and expansion to to bring the river back to those those communities. Melendras
3: and his team have been working with the COCOPAW staff planning for the next phase.
5: Installing the trail. Once mm-hmm. we get the trailhead put in, um, there will be some, some more plants that will get put around the trees and, and around the trail system. And that will help keep the invasive species from repopulating.
3: Work on the one-mile trail should begin in December, according to Allspot. She says longer-term plans include removing more of the invasive species along the river. She says the drought affecting the Colorado River system can be felt at the end of the river.
0: The way that I think of it is that that's kind of more reason for us to treasure what we do have left, um, the land, the water that we have left, and, you know, be working on projects like this.
3: The Colorado and the river people have a long history together. The Kokopaw are doing what they can to keep their part of the story alive. Al Macias, KJZZ News, Phoenix.
0: And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. Thanks for listening. In business news, Arizona has a rich history of film and TV production, from iconic Westerns to famous horror movies and even music videos. New tax incentives passed by the legislature kick in next year and promise to expand the amount of projects shot in the state. As Tom Maxedon reports, the tax breaks are aimed at big budget projects, but indie makers will profit as well now playing Zona Wood.
6: The opening titles of Alfred Hitchcock's iconic film, Psycho, provide a dateline. Phoenix, Friday, December 13th. The camera pans a much different skyline before landing at the window ledge of a room in the former Jefferson Hotel, now the Barrister Building, where actors John Gavin and Janet Leigh have just Netflixed and chilled, so to speak.
1: never did eat your lunch, did you?
3: I better get back to the office. These extended lunch hours give my boss excess acid.
1: Why don't you call your boss and tell him you're taking the rest of the afternoon off? Friday anyway, and
6: hot. While Psycho is undoubtedly a classic, horror is the lesser of the genres emanating from Arizona.
4: Oh my God, it's Josie Whale!
3: Why, you're gonna pull those pistols and
6: whistle Dixie.
4: Wretched slugs. Don't any of you have the guts to play for blood? I'm your huckleberry. That's just my game.
6: Filmmakers for westerns like The Outlaw Josie Wales and Tombstone chose to shoot in Arizona for a reason, because of the state's iconic vistas and ready-made sets like old Tucson Studios. While the exact details are still being worked out, the Arizona Commerce Authority, which is charged with finalizing the application process for incentives, has a record of spurring economic success.
4: For fiscal year 21 and 22, we assisted 350 projects with a estimated value of $170 million.
6: Matthew Earl Jones is director of the Commerce Authority's Film and Digital Media Program. He's also the brother of one of America's legendary actors who gave voice to one of the most infamous villains in the galaxy. Yes, James Earl Jones. And while the text breaks are aimed at large-scale productions, Matthew Earl Jones says all the programs of the film office and incentives are open to local producers. He encourages Arizona creatives in the industry to apply for them.
4: In the Commerce Authority, we're about local jobs. We're hoping that not only do these programs help, but more importantly, that it helps people see that they can not only learn their craft in Arizona, but they can pursue their craft in Arizona. They can make money here. One of the things that's important to our office is that we don't keep losing the brightest, youngest minds who graduate from the great film schools in our state and then feel they have to leave.
6: Jones also believes Tribal Nations in Arizona will profit, highlighting an agreement signed by outgoing Navajo Nation President Jonathan
4: Nez. President Nez signed an MOU for the State Film Office to work with the Navajo Nation to help them promote their assets, help train their people, and really help promote filming on the Navajo Nation. Beyonce shot some scenes for the Lion King video at Havasupai Falls.
6: Valley-based actress, playwright, screenwriter, and filmmaker Pepper Chambers believes respect for the land and locals is important when awarding bids.
2: I'm interested that filmmakers don't come here
7: as colonizers to film and leave. We have to be respectful of the land and of the people, what that means is hire locally, so that people can learn and take
2: knowledge and experience back to their own communities and make their own stories.
6: But apart from tax incentives, what also makes Arizona attractive?
0: Arizona has a very diverse landscape, so you can go two hours north, get full lush forests. you can get snow, you can go two hours south, you can get dunes and deserts, you go even further south, there's a mining town. So we just have so much in one state that we can offer these productions, so that way they can film the entire film or show right here without having to go back to Los Angeles for any sort of pickup shots.
6: That's Bella Hibbs, Executive Director of Valley-based Good Faith Casting she sees an opportunity for locals to benefit.
0: The film incentive is for bigger budget production, so that money does go into the state. But I do think independent filmmakers will still see a benefit, um, being able to even work on those productions, make those connections, and hopefully get their film either funded or produced.
6: Scottsdale-based indie filmmaker Robert Conway agrees.
3: I think overall it's really good, and I, I wish they would help smaller film too, but
5: starting with multi-millions, the, the good thing is it's gonna help the economy a lot. It's gonna give people out here Jobs And there's a lot of really quality crew people. I was
6: disputing the account of a colleague of mine who shot something out here and said, I couldn't find any good crew. I'm like, you should have called me, man. Conway has numerous films to his credit, the latest of which is Hellhounds, starring former Valley resident Eva Hamilton and set for release in 2023. His advice to locals? Book it, and they will come. Whoa. Tom Maxidon, KJZZ News, Phoenix.
0: In Fronteras news. When you think of Sonoran food, what comes to mind? Maybe tender flour tortillas, fresh seafood, Sonoran hot dogs, almost certainly grilled beef or carne asada. But a growing number of Sonorans are ditching animal products and opening restaurants centered on plant-based foods in all their forms. From our Fronteras desk in Hermosillo, Kendall Bluss reports on what some have called the vegan
3: boom.
0: It's a typical Sonoran barbecue or carne
7: asada. In the video, a young woman sits downcast at a picnic table while others chow down on tacos.
1: Suddenly,
7: she perks up, grabs a container of soy based carne asada, and joins her family and friends in the festivities. How to be vegan in Sonora without missing a single carne asada is the concept behind veggie tacos, a business Ligia Rojas started with her mom in 2017 selling vegan alternatives to Sonoran favorites. Rojas says she and her family are proud sonorenses, and like many people who switch to a vegetarian or vegan lifestyle, they still want to enjoy traditional dishes. Grilled pork, barbecued goat, cow's head, She says there's no reason to miss out just because someone no longer eats meat or is just cutting back cuando cambio, no lo sufras. She sells the veganized versions by the leader and twice a week at the Veggie Tacos Taqueria in her family's carport. The recipes are the same ones her mom made for her growing up. Back when she says it was a lot harder to find vegetarian options in Hermosillo. Aquí en siendo como la capital de la carne. The beef capital of Mexico. There's no denying that Sonora is known for its carne. El taco de asada para mí sería el rey. In recent years, Hablando Hermosillo's esto, gastronomy has of been of highlighted de de by pueblo. well-known chefs,
2: Soy yo, el de carne
7: asada. the Netflix series Taco Chronicles, and in the LA Times. Unfailingly, carne asada reigns large. Why wouldn't it? It's the pride of Sonora. But like others around the world, a growing number of Sonorans are changing their diets, exchanging meat-heavy dishes for more plant-based fare. Last month, vegans and omnivores alike gathered in an Hermosillo park for Vegan Fest, one of several vegan food festivals that have sprung up in the city in recent years.
0: Yo creo que la está
7: That's Carolina Lopez, event organizer. She says demand for vegan options is on the rise in Hermosillo, as is access to plant based food. Tofu and vegan cheese are on the shelves at grocery stores. There are a couple dozen vegan restaurants, including coffee shops, hot dog stands, and burger joints. And even places typically lacking veggie options, like seafood restaurants, are putting vegan dishes on the menu. (laughs) Chef Ivan Tapia says you don't need meat for great flavor. He tries to demonstrate that through his offerings at the festival — vegan mole, chilorio, and tinga made from mushrooms. He went vegan several years ago after spending time with Sonora's indigenous communities, which he says gave him a new perspective on animals' lives.
6: One
7: day he started to eat a taco and broke down crying. He hasn't eaten animal products since. But it can be hard giving up meat in a place like Emoció. Family and friends worry about your health, and social situations can be tough. Marco Beltran was at the festival sampling tacos and donuts with his brother and father, all vegans. Despite the challenges, he says veganism gives him peace, and the food is great.
2: Excellent. <laughs>
7: That's the whole concept behind Beatriz Carvajal's restaurant, Vegana del Norte delicious, fun, fast food. Comida divertida. Vegana del Norte started out of Carvajal's home shortly after she became vegan about eight years ago. Now, she's sitting under a red and yellow sign outside her newly opened restaurant. In the kitchen, onion rings and french fries sizzle in the fryer, and soy adobada and a lentil-based veggie patty heat up on the grill. A fried tofu chicken sandwich, barbecue veggie burger, and birria tacos are among the most popular items on the menu, she says. Like many vegans, she knows, she says, giving up meat inspired her cooking. That's also true for the duo behind Esquina Vegana. Me contrabandear gluten. Elizabeth Nunez calls herself a gluten smuggler. Es decir, soy panadera. <laughs> In other words, a baker. She learned to cook as a teenager when she gave up meat. And a few months ago, she teamed up with longtime vegan cook Monica Pacheco to open a new restaurant serving traditional favorites with a vegan twist.
1: Una opción vegana, monchosa a la hora de la noche.
7: She says it's something the city was missing, tasty late night vegan munchies. And she calls their food a bit transgressive. Es un tanto transgresor. Food is Porque culture, she says, and their food bucks the idea that meat is essential to Sonoran identity. Kendall Blust, KJ's Z News, Hermosio.
0: And this is the Stories You Don't Want to Miss podcast. Now from KJZZ Original Productions, the soapbox series continues for the holidays.
1: You may not associate seafood with the holiday season, unless you're Italian and very industrious. Today, Valley writer Robert Pela kicks off our latest essay collection. The theme is Eating Christmas with a very fishy tale.
5: We could do salmon timbales and mussels in wine and butter, my husband is saying. If we did a chippino, that would be three or four fishes in one entree. We are planning our annual feast of the seven fishes. Following a tradition we swiped from the Italians, we spend most of December 24 preparing cod and catfish, albacore and anchovies, and quite a lot of time beforehand discussing what the menu will be this year. How about clams casino, he asks me, and fried smelts. You like fried smelts. I'm not really listening. I'm thinking about dishes. You're not really listening, he says. You're thinking about dishes. I am a dish queen. Young mothers take note. If you tell your five-year-old son that playing house is a bad idea, he might end up a 60-year-old with enough china to serve all of Yavapai County. I own more dishware than everyone I know. Combined. I wasn't raised with the seven fishes. My mother was and hated Christmas Eve because it meant being trapped in the kitchen all day forced by her older sisters to descale monkfish and decapitate eels have you ever disembowelled an octopus she asked me once when i was little no you haven't because your mother isn't a monster mom swore that when she was a grown-up lady rather than spending christmas eve stuffing a mackerel she'd make a nice lasagna instead But a decade ago, my husband and I were casting around for another annual holiday tradition. You know, because the weeks of shopping and cooking and baking and gift wrapping we did every year somehow wasn't enough. The Feast of the Seven Fishes was perfect because it required hours of discussion, a good deal of planning and shopping, and a lot of dishware. I was thinking the soup course on the green Harker ware, the salad on the Steubenville plaid, and the entree on the Vernonware chop plates, I tell him. The subject is fishes, my spouse replies, not dishes. He's a patient man. He puts up with my obsession with anchor hawking and Franciscan ware and claims not to be jealous of my Melmac. In return, I endure his endless photography of everything we eat. December 24th will come, and we will dine on squid ink pasta served in a Blue Ridge pottery lug bowl and pickled herring from a Taylor Smith Taylor monkey dish. But not before my spouse has lovingly photographed them, lighting them just so, posing each as if it were a movie star and not a pan-fried dolphin fish. And that night, we'll look at my husband's Hollywood portraits of what we've just eaten. But I won't be thinking about how fortunate I am never to have been trapped in a kitchen with a dead octopus, or how tasty that arctic char had been. I'll be thinking, that swordfish looks like hell on the cobalt fiesta ware. But it's okay. There's always next year.
0: In science news, Phoenix is on track to have the most advanced semiconductor plant in the United States. The Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company announced Tuesday that it will triple its investment here to $40 billion. As Christina Estes reports from our business desk, the big plans attracted some big names. President Joe Biden.
3: America Manufacturing is back, folks.
1: And Apple CEO Tim Cook.
3: We are planting a seed in the Arizona desert.
1: Attended the opening ceremony for TSMZ's first microchip facility in Phoenix. That's where Chairman Mark Liu announced the company will also build a second plant to begin production in 2026.
3: We will manufacture over 600,000 wafers a
0: year.
1: TSMC says the plants will create 4,500 direct jobs. An analysis by the Greater Phoenix Economic Council says another 13,000 jobs will be created at companies that supply materials and components to TSMC. Christina Estes, KJZZ News, Phoenix. And finally, in education news. The
0: Phoenix Union High School District is considering bringing back school resource officers. As Bridget Dowd reports, this comes two years after the district eliminated SROs. In a press release Tuesday, the district said it was considering the role of having a police presence on campus. Phoenix Union got rid of SROs in 2020 after the killing of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis and the unrest that followed. Now the governing board's Student Safety Committee is hosting listening sessions with Phoenix Union staff members, students, and their families. The idea is to gather input on how to make schools safer. The first listening session is this Saturday, December 10th. Two more will be held in January and February of next year. Bridget Dowd, KJZZ News, Phoenix.